Welcome to the Team FNC podcast, where we aim to improve your knowledge and understanding of nutrition. All right, so welcome to the Team FNC podcast. Today, I'm joined by a fellow fitness professional um, in the nutrition space, Tom Clark, also known as Tom Clark Fitness, which I'm going to refer to you as uh, for probably the rest of my life. Thanks, mate. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, I think Max probably put you up to that one, hasn't he? No, no, no. I think, uh, mate, I think when I, I think we established a real bond when you started posting Seinfeld memes. Yeah, the show about nothing. You know, I think it's a, probably the best tool to talk about what I do than anything, you know? Yeah, 100%, mate. It's uh, timeless. Like, Seinfeld is timeless, even though it's about nothing. Oh, mate, it's, there's, something, there's something really nice in, like, the absurdity of just how each episode stands on it on its own, like almost perfectly, but it's still within this broader story, which extends across years. Yeah. It's amazing. We've probably lost half the listeners already because they're not Seinfeld fans, but you know what? We've kept the ones that really matter because Seinfeld is probably the greatest show of all time. So if you've made it into this uh, first minute of the podcast, there's plenty more to come. Um, so, uh, before we get into, uh, I guess the industry talk, do you want to introduce yourself to the listeners kind of tell everyone how you got into nutrition, health and fitness, um, and I guess what you do. Yeah. Okay. Cheers. Um, yeah. So I took a bit of a, a bit of a roundabout route into particularly getting into nutrition. Um, I'd always really liked training. I became a personal trainer while I was studying at uni, my first year out of school. And for a really long time, I just like obsessed on the training and sort of neglect, neglected the nutritional side of things. Um, and it took me, oh, it'd be a year and a half ago now, I started doing a research project in a lab, which did a lot of like metabolic research. Um, and I saw all this research and the best predictor of body composition came down to these nutritional variables. And it just planted this seed in my head. I went, oh, hang on. Like, is this a thing which I've really been neglecting? Um, and particularly when you talk about like for your average show, like if you just want to feel a bit better and look a bit better, nutrition's probably the, maybe not the easiest, but it's definitely a massive low hanging fruit in a way to make things better. Um, so I sort of dived down that pathway, um, did my certificate in sports nutrition with SNA, which is really good. Um, and yeah, here I am. Yeah. Almost, yeah. Almost two years later. Um, love it. I coach a pretty wide array of people um, for both nutrition and training. Um, but I like the way that you get to, there's a lot of different problems you can solve with it. Um, and there's no sort of magic solution as well, which is good. Yeah. Like you said, it's nutrition isn't easy, but it can, you can make it quite simple sometimes. Um, and it is like, you know, really the, the biggest bang for your buck. Um, but it's also something that people do struggle the most with. And I think what I try and get, get across to people is like, yeah, it can be simple as like, you know, protein and plants, which we talk about all the time. But there's more, like there's so many things that influence your nutritional choices. That's why I kind of, as, as a client and also as a professional, you need to understand all these things and also how to apply the principles of nutrition um, for, for the individual at, at hand. Yeah, definitely. I think one of the things which really excites me about it is how much of a, how much of a behavioral science it is. Um, like you can, you can know nutrition, like you can understand carbohydrate metabolism and amino acid pro, like profiles and things like that to the nth degree. But unless you can listen and engage with the person in front of you, it doesn't really help you much at all. Yeah. It's not, and it's not often like a, a knowledge gap or a knowledge deficit either, because, you know, we say quite a bit, you know, if, um, everyone knows they should be eating like fruits and veggies or most people, most people know that but only 5% of the Australian population do. So there must be a reason why they're not. And behaviors are a massive part of it. Habits are a massive part of it. So um, just before the, before the show started, you, you mentioned that you did a bit of um, research into nutrition behaviors. Yeah. So not so much nutrition behaviors explicitly, but looking at, what kind of interaction exists using like behavioral testing, but also in terms of how is that changing like the neuroanatomy using a lot of rodent models and things like that. Um, and it was really interesting in that I think there's fairly good evidence and I'm, I'm very careful not to sort of overstate the strength of it. Um, but there's fairly good evidence suggesting that the food we're putting in 
could have ramifications for how obviously there's ramifications to how our body responds. Um, but in terms of it, with an interaction with our mood um, and our subsequent behaviors, you get, there's a really compelling argument towards obesity and hyperphagia. So like eating more food being actually a feed forward mechanism. So if you're someone who's eating a lot of food, you need more of said palatable food to make you feel as good as it previously has. Um, and I think that's the, that's like a nice way of making that very human story a little bit more scientific and justified. Right. So you no longer talk about people being overweight as it being a thing, which is inherently their fault or they're not as good as other people. Um, but it helps you sort of understand. Yeah. There's like, we have, we have a food environment, which is just so inherently obesogenic. Right. Um, so yeah, it helps you understand, um, and sort of learn from that. Yeah, definitely. Like our, our environment kind of initiates the, the habit loop as well, which is a, a cue, a routine, then a reward. And if we're always seeing these indulgent foods or, you know, these foods that our brain knows is like delicious and it wants more of it, seeing it is going to uh, kind of trigger that craving that then sparks the rest of the habit loop. And because the food is so rewarding, it just locks it in as well. Yeah, definitely. Like the, um, the way we can use food to reinforce things as well um, can lead a lot of people to get really stuck in that sort of cycle of, Hey, like I feel bad. This makes me feel better. Um, and it goes on. Yeah. And like, yeah, it does make you feel better in the short term, but then when you are trying to change that behavior as well, you, after the initial kind of mood burst, you, you start to feel really shit again and you feel probably more yeah. angry Um about what you've done and that kind of feeds that loop again of like being unhappy you try and then you use food as a reward to kind of bring yourself up and then it kind of feeds itself again but i was even looking into some stuff recently about uh rewarding children um for their behaviors with food as well and it kind of adds an even stronger kind of sense of reward um and like habit with those certain foods as well so it's a really tricky thing to get into using food as a reward in the first place yeah, definitely. I think like, oh man, I think there are, there is as someone who is not a parent and won't be for a very long time. Um, I think there are so many ways to mess up your kids, um, but particularly around food, right? Like it seems that if you have, like, if you're dieting and really watching after what, looking after what you eat in front of your kids, it's not good for them developmentally. Um, but neither is having the opposite approach, right? Um, you sort of get stuck. Oh, I think like everything, no one wants to admit there's probably like this middle ground we should all try and tread um, instead of looking at answers at extremes. What do you mean? There's there's an in-between? Sorry, I didn't didn't mean to tell you. Big secret. Um, There's actually good things to do with straddling a middle ground. Um, Yeah, crazy. Well, you mean I can't be just all or nothing or one side or the other? surprisingly not um and i think man like the fitness industry loves glorifying that don't they um like that no days off mentality that i'll outwork you and i think we lose sight of the fact that you probably especially if your goals are like pretty like if you just want to lose a couple of kilos and feel better do you need to be the hardest worker in the room (laughs) no you certainly don't and i I, that's where I, i I look at people like David Goggins and, you know, people read his books and, and listen to his books or whatever. And they're like, you know, no days off or it can't hurt me. And I've got to be like, you know, hundred percent on. I'm like, no, you just don't like, you don't need to look to that kind of those kind of people as inspiration because one, they're not relatable to you. Just look at someone who's a bit similar to you. That's had, kind of had some success within your circumstances and look at what they didn't go. Oh yeah, cool. I'm, I can kind of be inspired by that. Um, but then don't also don't compare yourself to that person. Um, but yeah, you don't have to look to these, I guess, extreme models and go, oh yeah, I need to do those things in order to just get towards my goals. It, yeah. It's, it's certainly not the case. Yeah. I think the kicker, like the Goggins too, cause like, I think that's a really nice example. The kicker with the Goggins situation is I genuinely think there are people who would benefit from his message, but I also think they're the people who are least likely to resonate with his message. So like, especially when I was doing PT, there are people I'd train who had no real, hadn't experienced really hard physical work previously. 
And it's quite hard to teach someone or expose someone to that sensation because it's not necessarily fun. Um, but I think people like that can really benefit from going, Oh, Hey, like from experiencing, Hey, I can work really, really hard and I can work way harder than I expected. But the problem is the people who like that message the most are probably already working quite hard. Um, and like, they're not getting like, if you're already like, I think CrossFit's a good example, right? Cause I know you guys deal with a lot of CrossFit athletes. Um, man, there are a lot of people who work really, really hard and do a lot of CrossFit. If you're doing six classes a week, the solution to making things better is probably not going to eight or nine classes and training hard. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. Yeah. I, I kind of see that all the time. Well, yeah. We do work with quite a lot of CrossFit, um, people um i do crossfit myself and you know for the first time in a long time I, i'm actually resting two days a week <laughs> which is and i'm actually getting stronger it's crazy i'm resting more and getting stronger um but yeah more more training isn't necessarily the answer uh, being more strict with your diet isn't necessarily the answer as well um because we can see like that comes that all or nothing mentality where you kind of say oh i didn't give 100 percent today i'm just going to give zero percent mm. Yeah, definitely. And I think that manifests, that's, that's, that's also a type of person, you know, too. Um, I'm sure like, I know definitely historically I resonated with that in that if you're the kind of person who likes just obsessively like dialing down and everything, there's a point where that obsession and that dialing down is actually a response which stems from how you view yourself and how you feel about yourself as opposed to actually being the thing which is going to get you results. Um, and something I find with the more people I coach for nutrition, particularly is I will try and give like the least advice I can and still roll the ball in the direction of their goal. Um, because really like you're paid or not, you're paid for an outcome, but people talk to you because they are seeking an outcome. Um, I think man, like I'd love to talk to you about how, yeah, I use exactly this carb cycling method and I hack this stage of the Krebs cycle to turn your body into a fat burning furnace, like whatever. Like I'd love to be able to tell you that. Um, but people like people want the outcome. And if you can get the outcome by telling someone, Hey dude, like eat five serves of veg a day and two serves of fruit. And all of a sudden they start losing half a kilo a week because they've never been like eating an appropriate amount of fiber. Why not do it that way? Yeah, hundred percent, man. I, um, like, I like what you were saying before about like, you know, people pay for the outcome, but they also pay for the solution to the problem they, that they have. And like we said earlier, like the solution just isn't knowledge. It's quite often like, you know, overcoming personal barriers that they have, whether it be how to navigate social events or, you know, even, um, eating eating um, for times that aren't out of hunger, like it might be boredom or, or stress eating. It could be any number of things or, you know, trying to follow a fad diet that's not suited to them or, you know, they restrict, they restrict themselves of, of foods that they enjoy, all these kind of things. And what they kind of are paying us for is, like I said, the solution to their problems and also for us to find different strategies that, that sorry, different strategies that it's going to go, that's going to work for them as well. Um, and that's where I wanted to kind of push the next part of the, of the topic onto like, it's important for us as coaches to have more than one tool for the job. And, you know, I feel like the, the longer I do this job, the more tools, you know, I, I get that I can share with clients as well. Um, and I feel like, you know, four years ago, I would have had only a number of tools and I probably wasn't doing my clients back then um, justice. Yeah. Yeah. I think like the, well, I, I've heard it compared to, I think it was, I think it was JP Kalki who said this, who I've plagiarized here. Um, but you don't see like carpenters arguing about whether a saw is better than a hammer. Um, but for some reason in the fitness industry, so many people just pick like a single thing they do and they build their identity around it. They build their whole message around it. And then they don't like, they're reluctant to admit that anything else could work or even be better in different contexts. Right. Yeah, it's this like tribalism. They want to be part of a tribe and 
you're safe in that tribe and anyone else who's in a different tribe is trying to attack you as well. So, you know, we've got the low carb tribe, we've got the high carb tribe, we've got the intermittent fasting tribe, the paleo tribe. It's it's the best thing ever, right, for them. And because they speak about it, like they got results from it and they speak about it so confidently, then the people who listen to them go, oh, my God, it must be the only way because he's speaking about it so confidently and it worked for him or worked for her. Um, but then it gets confusing because they don't understand actually how, how it works and whether it actually works for them. Because, you know, the, the, like whenever someone asks me about either keto or intermittent fasting, I say, um, they go, oh, have you heard about the keto diet? And I said, oh, yeah. Oh, should I do it? I go, do you like carbs? Yeah, then don't do it. And then they go, what about intermittent fasting? I go, do you like breakfast? Yeah, then don't do it. <laughs> well, man, I think like the... It's just such a case of like people also want to think there's a magic solution there, right? Mm. Um, but again, like they build up these, they build up an identity and they surround themselves with other people and they sort of lose sight of the people who, they have that confirmation bias. They lose sight of the people who are doing that and it's not working. Um, and one of the things I definitely feel lucky to have been a part of was I, when I first started working in like in a gym as a PT, there were a whole bunch of people in the gyms who had very, very different perspectives on this is how I do things. Um, so there was one guy who was like deep, deep, deep in a poliquin. Um, and there was another guy who was full evidence-based. I track every macro. He was, it was that very early flexible dieting IIFYM kind of school of thought. Um, and there was another, another person there who really pushed being vegan and eating organic and stuff. And one of the things which I noticed was, all of them got good results for say 10% of their clients for the sake of an arbitrary number. If you did any other job and you only help 10% of your clients get better, you lose your job. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> yeah. Um, but because we view fat loss as this like strange elusive goal and society seems to be convinced that like fat loss is hard and that it's scary and things like that people were accepting those low success rates. Um, whereas I then I started to look around and go, okay, like what are the underlying things which helped this approach work for this person? Um, and I definitely don't think I, especially in the beginning, I was terrible at that. Um, and I think when you, you begin, you don't have a schema for these, this is how the whole system works. You just jump from tool to tool without any real application. Um, but the more experience you get, the more you see people, you begin to realize, Hey, like here's the tool for this job. And I think that helps you like, sure. Like it's, it's not like a magic bullet in and of itself, but it lets you broaden the amount of people you can help and help them more effectively too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, what you were saying before about the, the, um, the professionals that help 10% of their clients because they have that one tool, they might say, oh, well, the client wasn't, um, they, they didn't want it bad enough. Like the other 90%, they just didn't want it bad enough. They, they weren't committed. They weren't disciplined. I'm like, well, there's a reason that they weren't. They, there's a reason they, they didn't follow through with it. And, you know, when, when people come say to me like, oh, you know, it's my problem is discipline. I go, what do you mean by that? Or I find it hard mm-hmm. to, to stay on track. I'm like, well, it's not your, your fault. Like it's the track's fault. Like you're following the wrong track. Just create create your own track, and that's where we yeah. use our tools. Yeah, and I think that's interesting, right? Because I always find it slightly ironic because the PCs and the nutrition coaches who push the personal responsibility responsibility discipline story are refusing to do that to themselves. Yeah, they're refusing to ask, like, what in my approach could I have done better to help this person? Um, and I agree with you. When I hear someone say, "I don't have the discipline." To me, that's a red flag for like, we haven't been picking the right intervention. Um, yeah, definitely. What are some other like common pitfalls you see with, um, with nutrition and fitness professionals in general? I think the, I think probably one of the biggest one is just because you can do a thing doesn't mean you should. Yeah. Um, like I was, I was talking to my roommate the other day about some, the idea of like a protein modified fast and like very low calorie diets and things like that, which for starters, you should not be doing with even at like sports nutrition. You should be seeing a dietitian if that's even vaguely in the discussion, but 
like people ask me like, oh yeah, should I like, should I do a protein very modified fast? So should I just subsist off like whey protein shakes, chicken breasts, and maybe a couple of green vegetables um, to lose that weight quickly? And I think in the, when you, when you're asking, can I do this? The bigger question is like, is this actually a useful tool for you right now? Yeah, and then even like, what's the long, like, what's your long term goal? Like, okay, cool, you're going to do that. You're going to do your protein sparing modified fast, so you go low carb, or you know, you'll do an aggressive diet for okay, let's say you know four four to eight weeks something. But what happens after that? Okay, you cut out all the foods you enjoy for four to eight weeks. You haven't learned how to manage your budget. It's like it's like me saying, okay, cool, I'm going to stop going to the pub and stop drinking beers, and that's going to make me save money. Yeah, cool. Okay, but what about long-term? Am I never going to go to the pub again? Like, am I just going to never going to learn how to manage my budget whilst going out and having beers with my mates and, and going for dinners out, like, obviously when lockdown's over? Um, but, yeah, like, you're just going to go, revert back to those old habits. So there's old habits, those old behaviours, and you'll probably just put the weight back on. Yeah, definitely. And I think, again, that's, like, that's a real discussion of not only should you sit in the middle of, like, the approach you should avoid extremes but you should also know when to turn the dial which way like if you're say if you're a bodybuilder who's two weeks out from hopping on stage it might make sense given your exact situation to avoid going to the pub that weekend especially you're tired you're hungry your capacity you're like your discipline so to speak your willpower is relatively depleted it makes sense not to put yourself in a potentially exposing situation there. But then four weeks later, when you're no longer aggressively dieting, you normalize your calories, ideally your sense of fullness and you feel a bit more human has come back. It's in that context, right? Where I'd go, okay, now we need to turn the dial here and get a little bit more relaxed. Um, Yeah. So it's, and again, it's like when people spend these times on either end of the continuum, they don't learn. You can shift from one to the other. Um, and I think that's probably a bigger question, right? Like, what do you find? It's sometimes it's not even what's the right tool for the person, but it's like, what's the right tool for right now for a person? And like, do you find you'll like change, you'll change like how strict you are and sort of what modalities you use to prescribe nutrition? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's, um, I, I like to think of like the, for each person, they have like almost a goal for the meal, a goal for the day. And then sometimes a goal for their week and then a, a general goal as well. And then some like, you know, even if your goal is fat loss, there's sometimes where a goal for your meal is just pure enjoyment and you don't even care about protein and plants and trying to think about it that way. But then also it's like, okay, if your goal is fat loss, then, you know, most of the time your meals are aligned with, with your goal of fat loss, but not all of them have to be like, you can still kind of have that, that social goal, um, the enjoyment goal as well. So, um, Certainly, there's certainly that thing as well. Um, but I like what you're saying about the the dial knob as well, like that um, the sliding scale rather than just like all or nothing. We can go, okay, cool. Look at your circumstances at the moment. Have you got a really, really stressful time at work or at home? Instead of trying to be a nine out of 10, let's scale things back to like a five or a six. And because it's it's more maintainable, it's more achievable, it's less stressful, but you're still making progress. It's not the zero. So you're still doing something like it's always something, um, not all or nothing. Yeah. And I think people, people really, really overrate what the minimum amount of work they need to do to get better is like it is. And and this is, this is a training thing as well as a nutritional one, right? But especially like if your goals are fairly conservative and then nothing like absolutely spectacular, it's incredible how little, like how little effort you can get so to speak um the like i've had quite a few clients who've come to me and been like hey i want to lose a bit of weight i'm doing this and you talk to, you talk to them about their food and it's clear there's no there's no resounding pattern or they don't have like a way of eating and nothing's fixed they don't have any food behaviors they don't eat mindfully and you can tell people hey literally i want you to start paying attention when you eat now like when you have dinner don't have dinner in front of the tv have dinner, pay attention to dinner and then wait five minutes before you pour your second bowl. And you can pick really, really low effort interventions like that. And that's all you need to like turn that dial just the slightest bit and it still drives that outcome. Um, 
So yeah, I think there's like a real merit to asking the question of like, what's the least we can do to get you better instead of going, what's the most we can do? Cause I think a lot of PTs and especially like I used to get really excited when you see someone who's super dedicated. Um, but the reality is those people who are all or nothing probably have an even greater developmental need for you to give them some exposure in the middle. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's, um, it's almost a bit of a red flag when someone comes to you and says, I'll do whatever you tell me. And I'm like, Oh, I don't know about that. Like, <laughs> because you, you probably won't, you, or you will for a while and then you won't listen to anything and you won't do anything. So it's about, yeah, let's, if you're an all or nothing person, let's try and just be a something person. Yeah, definitely. And I think like, it's, it's an interesting one, right? Because I th- like, I think there is a time for the being hundred percent dialed down. Um, but I also wonder what is the people who are, who come into coaching and go, Hey, I'm hundred percent on board. I'm 110%. I know Dean, um, Dean McKillop, who works with us at Flex or who owns Flex, um, is he hates when people say I'm going to give 110% because one, like you should just give hundred percent or you should just give the appropriate percent. Right. Hmm. But also what does that narrative and what does engaging in that narrative actually say about your relationship with yourself and with your food? Um, like why, to what extent can you not accept that you are enough and you're doing the right things? You don't need to reach for more. You can just keep doing the right things. Yeah. Yeah. How often do we have to remind a client that they're doing really well when like they look at their diet and they go, Oh, I was really bad today. I was like, why? Cause you had a beer with dinner or you had some chocolate after afterwards. Like that's not bad. Like look at the five other great things you did. Like think about those things. Like just because you had like one indulgence doesn't mean it undoes everything else that you've done. Like you don't have to be strict. I had a client say to me the other day, she goes, Oh, I think I should be more strict. And I said, why? And she goes, oh, I just, I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm eating like a, an indulgence every day. I was like, you bet you can. Mm. I'm like, you know, she's, she's tracking, like you're within your calorie targets. Mm. She goes, oh, I think it's just a mindset thing. Then I, like, I think I just, I can't do that. I was like, well, now you're proving to yourself that you can do that. And she's like, oh, but like pasta, can I eat pasta? I'm like, yes, you can eat pasta. Oh, okay, cool. So like, it's then overcoming those beliefs that you don't have to be 100% strict to still get results. And that's like, that's where you want to be. You want to be in that sweet spot where it doesn't feel that hard. Yeah. And I think one of the things you absolutely nailed with that was you said, people say to you, I was bad today. It's like the, even the language they're using is like reflecting on that behavior is like this inherent failing of themselves. Like it's like whether or not they do that has some kind of bearing on the the kind of person they are Um, as opposed to, Hey, like I'm, made good food decisions or I made bad food decisions today. Yeah. Um, yeah it's crazy. Yeah. It's really yeah. And it's, it's uh, for some reason it's nutrition. That's the one thing that we are the biggest judges of ourselves for. Like I am bad if I slip up, but it's not like, you know, if you had a day off work for no, even though you weren't sick, you're a bad person. No, like, but you, you know, you have a couple of indulgences during the week of, of eating and you're a horrible person. Yeah. And it's, it's also, it's the inability to frame that in context, right? Um, like I have, have a client at the moment who's, he's like, who has historically done like a lot of dieting and a lot of bodybuilding type stuff. Um, but is actually having troubles eating the amount of calories they'd like because they're feeling quite full before that's happening. And it's been really interesting exploring, Hey, like how do we feel about the prospect of, you know, having two Tim Tams, you know, how do we, how do we feel about building in a small amount of like quote unquote junk food as a part or like an indulgence into your daily routine? Because right now that's actually the thing which is going to facilitate you getting better. Um, and it's interesting seeing how for so many people who've come from this context of, oh, I diet hard, I eat clean, I do all these things. That's a really challenging idea because it it challenges this part of their self-concept where they're like i'm intense you know um like how many people have you spoken to who said yeah man like i'm like really obsessive you know like i'm really all or nothing like people admit that to you right yeah man massive and i they're they're the kind of things rather it sticks in my head the first time i talk to them i'm like okay cool let's 
you know, long term, I'm I'm gonna try and beat this. I'm trying to get I'm trying to beat this out of you, actually. Yeah. The um and it's it's funny, right? Because I think the other less nice thing, particularly in the realm of coaches who classically prescribe either keto or counting calories or macros, is those people are really good clients in the short term. Yeah, because they love like rules. They love rules to yeah. follow. If you take someone who's got a slightly disordered relationship with food, a little bit of self-loathing, and you give them some concrete rules and you tell them, do this and you can be better, they do it for eight weeks, they lose six or seven kilos, they get ripped, great Instagram photo shoot, like fantastic. Um, but then what next, right? It's like you said, like it's like you said before about the um, protein sparing modified fast. It's like, what happens once they stop that? What do they learn? Yeah. Yeah. And rules are great until you can't follow them anymore. But yeah, guide, think- guidelines, guidelines are like, no, can't do guidelines. I need rules. Yeah. Well, you know, we've got nutritional guidelines. No one follows that. No, they should be the Australian nutritional rules. Yeah. Well, like it's, I was reflecting on this the other day. I think particularly for a lot of people who experience like anxiety around themselves and their food, having rules is a really nice way of minimizing that in the short term because all of a sudden you have like a hard and fast, I do this and it stops you having to consider all of the different scenarios. Like if you're classically an overthinker, Um, but the problem is those rules also bind you with a lot of rigidity and you lose that ability. Like that person is all or nothing. They might be really good at following their meal plan until they end up at the pub and they don't have an appropriate meal to choose, but they haven't developed that gray area and that way of thinking like, what is the best option now? Or what are the things I'm trying to get out of that meal? Um, and that's when they tend to go off the rails, right? Yeah. That's where that having the, the plan B is so important. Having the, the if then strategy that we love so much, but then, you know, there's all or nothing people, those David Goggins fans are like, Oh, you shouldn't have to have a plan B because you know, you, that means like you're, you're giving yourself the opportunity to fail. I'm like, no, because life is crazy. Life gets in the way. Give yourself a plan B, even have a plan C. Like, you know, you should be able to scale things back. Like uh, I did a post on like what CrossFit teaches, about, teaches us about nutrition, learn to scale. Like if you can scale a workout, you can scale your nutrition it's like, okay, cool. I'm having my, my chicken and veggies, but I'm going to the pub. Okay, cool. What can I have there? Oh, a steak and veggies. Boom. Same thing. Like it's. Yeah. And I think the, the big thing with the plan B, right. Is it's like, how do you, how do you coach nutrition whilst also giving people the opportunity to win and develop as much self-efficacy as possible? Yeah. Because really like if you're going to go to the pub and you're going to have your steak and chips, you could frame that as a win because you're doing the best possible thing in those confines, right? Or like if you're drinking and you're normally someone who has 10 beers and you switch for like a slightly lower calorie option and you have five and then you go home, giving yourself the plan B lets you phrase that to yourself as a win and it improves your self-efficacy and it leaves you feeling like you are capable and you are doing good things. Um, But alternatively, when you're not doing that, it just gives you the sense of you being a failure. And then all that reinforces is, hey, I need to work harder again. doesn't yeah. really help you at all. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. It's like you're looking at improvements rather than like just complete swaps, I guess, as well. Like you're saying, like going from 10 drinks to five drinks, um, you know, maybe instead of getting like a, a burger and chips and ice cream, you get like a steak and chips. Like that's all massive improvements. And then the comments that I love to see from clients that when they, when they celebrate their plan B wins, they're like, uh, I didn't really feel like what I prepared. So I had something else instead that was still aligned with my goals. Like that's, that's the win. Like that's that shifting out of that, that all or nothing mindset. Or, you know, I went out for dinner and I ate mindfully. I didn't eat everything that's on the plate. I'm like, that's, that's a win. Like celebrate those things because that gives you the confidence to do it again and again and again. Yeah. And I think like we, one of the big problems I think, particularly with fat loss is mechanistically, fat loss isn't a hard thing to do. Like mechanistically, you can explain it with an equation. You can say, hey, I burn more, but there's this part of behavior which is like harder to do. And people have these recurring experiences where they feel a lot of shame where they've failed in inverted commas to lose weight. 
Um, and what that does is that sort of mythologizes this process, right? It makes people reflect on it and go, man, like losing weight's really hard. It's really difficult. But the same people, when they have it explained to them and when they have a couple of really uplifting and like positively reinforcing experiences around it, the fear sort of disappears for them. Yeah, 100%, man. And like, like we keep saying, we're trying to like build up their confidence because they might have gone through a few periods of time or a few attempts where they have like in their eyes failed. So instead of that person starting at 100% going into this new fat loss phase or new approach, like low-hanging fruit, like you mentioned before, let's build the confidence up, let's build the wins. So, you've, so you go, oh, actually, I do feel like the momentum's going with this one. I do feel more confident. And let's, yeah, okay, let's kind of uh, try and jump over a bigger, bigger hurdle next week and all the week after rather than going, okay, cool, meal plan, seven days a week, week one, can't follow on Saturday fuck, what have I done? Um, that's it. I'm going to start again Monday. Like just trying to keep like telling our clients, like you can start small and at the end of the day, have massive success without having to start like so strong and, and being completely strict. And I think that's where as professionals, like there needs to be this massive shift um, and making sure that we're kind of meeting the client with where they're at. That's the, that's the number one thing to do rather than just give them what we think or like what, what we would do. It's like, no, like, I'm not my client, <laughs> you know, there's, yeah. I work with, you know, 20 plus people at the moment and they're all ridiculously different. And it's great. Like I, I journal about it all the time. Like I love working with so many different types of people that I, I learn more about it all the time. And it gives me more strategies for the next time I, I kind of work with a similar person, but you know, I don't want to be my own client. I want to work with all these different types of people and, and also give me the confidence that I can go, okay, cool. I can help more people as well. Yeah, definitely. And I think, that's like massive. Like that's totally a problem, which is the fitness industry's own right. Because the industry attracts people who really value their training and their nutrition. Um, and if you're someone who really, really values that, often it can be hard to understand that that's not actually the first priority for a lot of people. Um, but what happens is we get caught in this dialogue of people who are like so self-congratulatory about the fact that, oh yeah, I've got a 498 day streak on um, my fitness power. Yeah. And it was like, yeah, sure dude. Because you're, because you're 18 years old. Like I look at some of the stuff I did when I was 18 or 19, like man, when I was 18, I did keto while I was in Italy. Like I, I did lose six kilos. Um, it was not good for me at all, but I think when you're, when you're younger and that's the most important thing to you, it's really easy for you just to like, to do that thing. But then what it takes is us, like it takes you to grow up a little bit and to see the world from other people's perspective and talk to people who maybe their physique is like not their top goal because they have a career and a family and things and other things which bring them joy. Um, it doesn't make sense for you to give them like a meal plan and go, Hey, if you value this, you're going to do it. Um, instead the solution so much more, it's so much more based on listening to them, but it's also iterative, right? It might be this week. You say, Hey, all we're doing this week is trying to develop a food routine. Okay. Let's have you eating breakfast at a similar time. Let's try and get you going. Yeah. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, similar time. And let's have two incidences of stacking a day. Like it could be something like that. And then you sit down a week later, having given them like 10 seconds of advice and you look at how it went. If it worked, awesome. Double down on it. Add like a small thing maybe. If it didn't work, know which string's the right one to pull to try and get them back into the right position for them to continue to improve. Yeah, definitely. Again, like it's, it's the right tool for that person. Um, and even like so often for the client, becoming aware of not only what they're eating, but why they're eating. That's another massive thing that we can, that we can teach them as well. That's a lifelong thing rather than just like, okay, cool. I'm eating chicken at this meal or oats at this meal. So why am I eating certain things? And, but why am I choosing to eat anyway in the first place? Um, I think what you mentioned before about like the, the industry kind of normalizing certain things. I think one of the things that they kind of popularize and normalize is fast results, like, you know, results in, you know, in six to eight weeks so that when, we're, we're encouraging, you know, slow, slow progress and maintainable like solutions. But when people aren't seeing results in eight 
or six weeks or whatever, they feel like, again, the solution is like the approach isn't right for them or they are a failure. Um, so I guess do you want to talk a bit more about like the, the six or eight week challenge that you typically see and the, like the, the real pitfalls of these? Yeah, well, like, it's funny. I think, man, I sound like such an old man talking like this, but one of the, something I often say to people in like their first consult, when they talk about that, they'll be like, yeah, I'm 60 kilos. I want to be, I want to be 54. Um, and I want to lose those six kilos in the next six weeks. And I think we're sort of, we're asking the wrong question, right? Like one of those, or hope, one of the hopefully inescapable facts of life is that three years is going to pass. Um, well, ideally three years passes for most of us. Um, but then when three years passes, where are you going to be relative to this position now? Because you won't care in three years time. You won't care where you were two years and 10 and a half months ago. I hope that maths was right. Um, it's, it's like, it's a question of how do you, how do you bring forward your average performance over a really long period of time? Um, like if you, if you want to lose a meaningful amount of weight, it's going to take time not just because you have a lot of weight to lose, but because you have some behaviors that you need to change and integrate. And that's not a thing you can do magically or quickly, especially not in a healthy context. Um, but I think more of us need to be excited about, Hey, if I do have the rest of my life to engage with this thing, that is a lot of time to get better. Um, particularly like, I'm not, not so sure about CrossFit, right. But in powerlifting, which I'm, which is probably like the sport I'm most, integrated with at the moment people become their best like well well into their 30s and i think that leave, that makes a really interesting question if you're someone who's in the early 20s and who's like hey i really want to do this six-week challenge like maybe you didn't need to change the lens with which you view things do you really want to be like do you really want to sort of give yourself an eating disorder and make life suck for six eight weeks or in two or three years time, do you want to be healthier do you want to have better body composition and engage with it as a process you enjoy? And the thing is you don't really get a choice about whether you end up two years down the track or not. Yeah. Do you, do you think that is because, you know, we've been like, we're, we're going to be eating food for the rest of our life, unless Elon Musk makes something that, you know, we don't have to, but we've been eating food for our whole lives. Right. So I think we almost expect that we are experts anyway, even if, we, even if we aren't, so, like, a, you and I, you know, I, I do CrossFit, you do powerlifting. Let's say we go into um, jiu-jitsu, for example, right? I did, like, two months of jiu-jitsu, really enjoyed it, bust my thumb real bad. Anyway, but, like, let's say we both start as white belts. We don't expect to be black belts in six weeks because we are complete novices. And I think that's the, that's the approach a lot of people have to take with their nutrition is go, go, okay, cool, I am an absolute beginner in this, even though I've been eating for my whole life. But I think that background of, oh, I've been eating, I already know something. I'm like, actually, you, you may not. And you have to kind of unlearn all those things that you've been doing. Um, it's almost like trying to write with a different hand. Like you've got to like build up these new habits and you're like, it's going to be so tempting to go back to your left hand if you're left-handed and then start trying to write right-handed. So um, I think that's almost a, a bit of a barrier for us as professionals because people expect results very quickly because they have a background rather than if they're trying to learn a complete new skill like guitar or jiu-jitsu or whatever, um, they, they know they're starting from the absolute like beginning. Yeah, and I think the thing, one of the things I really liked about what you said there was that idea of unlearning. Um, because almost everyone has an idea about weight loss and nutrition. Um, it may not be right, but almost everyone comes to me with some kind of preconceived idea of this is how things are going to work. And that, that exists for good and bad reasons, right? But sometimes you've got to disrupt that expectation of like the people who come to you and who are expecting, like I had someone come to me the other day who was like about 110 kilos, completely sedentary, sedentary, sorry, hadn't done any exercise, hadn't watched his diet in ages and just came to me expecting macros. And I said to him, I was like, dude, like I could totally do that for you, but there's no point. Yeah. <laughs> But it was such a barrier to like such a barrier to get over for me to explain to him. I know this is what your concept of like looking after your health is, but that's not the answer. 
Um, and that's hard because you meet people and you need to tell them they're wrong. And there's, that's a, that's a social skill I haven't quite developed yet. You know, maybe that's a thing I could develop in six, a six to eight week challenge. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Um, that's it, man. I, I think, yeah, it's almost like explain to this person, okay, this is, is an approach, but I don't think it's the right job for you. And I think that's where we come back to us as professionals. That's why we keep, we keep learning all the time um, and we keep reflecting on our practices and the people that, the people that we work with and making sure we have plenty of tools that are going to work for this person. Because I reckon maybe 90% of the people that, that work with us, they go, okay, do I get a meal plan? I'm like, oh, no, I can, I can create one with you. Um, create a few sample days of eating, but I won't actually write a meal plan for you and give it to you. Oh, okay, cool. And it's like only after all they go, yeah, that, that sounds good. All right, cool. Actually, let's do this. Because I've explained like, no, I don't do meal plans. Here's why. Because I don't like pasta. So I'm not going to fucking write a meal plan that has pasta in it. You know, um, if you like pasta, you're not going to follow this meal plan. So they go, okay, cool. I like this idea that you'll write it with me um, and it suits my lifestyle and personal preferences. Again, you know, more tools in the toolbox. Yeah, well, I think the one of the logical assumptions which underpins the whole meal plan thing, right, is for a meal plan to exist, like as good in in isolation, it implies the existence of good and bad food. But in reality, that definition is both not binary at all, but so multidimensional. There's no, unless you're working collaboratively with a person, there's no actual ability to write like a, a good meal plan. You know, you can give indications as like, this may be a good way to eat broadly, but to say, Hey dude, at 1145, you have to have 13 and a half almonds. If you have 14 too many, you know, it'll mess your anabolic window up. Like there isn't sufficient evidence or rationale to be able to issue like advice like that yeah and that person like because they they maybe didn't get the context behind it like you know might say like you know if you can sell like two thumbs of fats okay cool um or like a handful of nuts okay cool but 13 almonds okay why not 14 and why not cashews why not peanuts okay cool that and like is this, okay brown rice okay what are, oh i've only got white rice oh can I have couscous? Can I have couscous? Can I, I don't know, like, you know, there's, there's, there's no understanding behind it. There's no way for them to manipulate it into their lifestyle as well. That's why, you know, um, personal, personalization is, is key. And like, I hate when I see, you know, people just like following a meal plan that they've got no idea what, like what to do when they can't follow it. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I think like the, Something I really like about a thing we do at Flex is we talk a lot about like, we'll talk about like a group one fruit or a group two fruit and we'll, we'll class fruit based on their caloric density, how much fiber they have and things like that. And it allows you to bridge that gap between I'm giving you some kind of recommendation around your eating without having to go quite as like prescriptive with your meal plan. Because really like with carbs, right? Like, I have no emotional investment as to whether you have white rice, brown rice, couscous, like you said, like really that question doesn't matter in the context of the rest of your diet. Um, but you knowing, Hey, I could pick like, like I know what, like a, a cup, like a cupped handful of this gets me and I can replace that with any of these things. Having that small amount of flexibility all of a sudden means people can actually meaningfully engage with this and be comfortable doing so and feel like they're winning right they're doing a good job yeah definitely yeah i just like yeah giving people options is you know like substitutions as well is a, is a really useful tool as well um maybe before we get into talking about your your main strength as a pr practitioner being memes uh what are like you know a couple of like one to three key things that you'd like to see more of in the industry from professionals i think like critical thinking, which I think is a bit of a, like, it's a bit of a toss, but more, more broadly people having critical thought about themselves and the way they reach conclusions and get to answers. Um, I think it's super easy for me to say, Hey, you know, you all need to think about things properly. Um, but doing that in a way, which starts internally with yourself, um, something I've been reflecting on a lot is cognitive dissonance and, 
in my, I've been looking at my own practice and I've been going, hang on, like, what are the things I'm doing here, which don't quite stack up and how can I tweak and improve those? Um, so I think people, people looking inwards before they look outwards and going, okay, like, sure. I'm here. Like I'm talking about this, like evidence-based mindset. I'm doing a really good job of that, but I'm also only doing that because I'm watching people I admire and I'm just stealing what they're saying. Like I'm not actually doing this because I'm engaging in that process mindfully. So I think that mindfulness and thinking about themselves first would be really good. Yeah. I love that kind of theme of like reflection and awareness. Um, always like what you're doing, why you're doing it. And I think that kind of carries everything to clients as well. Um, been really like I send like a weekly email to my clients and the last few weeks have been a bit of a theme on, on reflection and journaling as well. Not saying like you must do it. It's like, I, I think this is a really useful tool. Um, there's evidence supporting it. Um, but also reflect on like what you're doing, why you're doing it. And also if you want to change behaviors and why you want to change them and, and how you can go about it as well. And I think as, pra- as practitioners as well, like reflecting on like what you're doing well, what areas could you improve on? Um, and what do you need to, what's like tools you need to add to your toolbox as well? Yeah. And I think like also to that, right. It's the greater, like the better you understand yourself and the better you're able to step back. I think that's one of the nice things about journaling, right? It lets you project what you're feeling onto an exterior surface unless you look at it as a separate entity. Um, and if you look at it, like if you look at that and you look at yourself and you realize, Hey, I am someone who loves the idea of a magic solution like i know me personally i I spent a lot of time looking for like what's the thing you know what's the thing which is going to make me super strong and the thing which is going to make me really fit and ripped and it took me realizing that that is a bias in how i think to step back sufficiently and realize hang on there is no magic answer there but my me being like a dog chasing cars trying to find the magic solution is actually impeding my ability to actually become better yeah 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 it's a lot of busy work but in, like you're not actually getting any solutions you're not getting anywhere yeah 100 percent. as like yeah the same thing people going from diet to diet to diet it's actually not getting them anywhere at all it's if anything they're, they're actually going backwards yeah and that was there was a gym i used to work out where we did three times a year we did 12 weekly challenges and whenever I spoke to someone who'd done more than two or three of them, I'd sort of find myself asking, hang on, they've, they've just applied this, like try really hard thing multiple times. They've done exactly the same thing, but they keep coming back. They haven't stepped back and gone, what's the bigger problem? Like, what is the thing I'm missing here, which needs to fix things? Yeah. If you, if you keep doing challenges over and over again, you, yeah, you need to find it. You need to stop and just like, Invest the money and the time that you did in all those six-week challenges and just do one-on-one coaching. Yeah, or even man, if you're on your if you're on your fourth coach in the past two or three years, like maybe it's worth reflecting on was like was it a problem with this coach or this coach or this coach? Or is there a way you can look inwards and go, hang on, is there a thing all I'm doing which is potentially sabotaging my own progress? Yeah. Definitely. I think, yeah, that reflection is, is really key for both the, the client and the, and the professional as well. Uh, mate, so the more serious part of the, of the conversation, you're, I thought about it before, you're like the, the Aussie uh, Spencer, Spencer Nadolsky with, uh, with your meme quality at the moment. Gee, that's, that's very flattering. Yeah, I thought you'd like that. Um, <laughs> I, I think they're a, a great educational tool because people love them. It's a combination between what people want and what they need, and they can relate to it as well. Um, how, where do you find your inspiration? Oh, normally the toilet. <laughs> um, no, Just I mean, scrolling. Like, yeah, no, no, but I think like I, I spend a lot. I'm like I'm very cerebral by nature. I'm a big nerd. I think a lot. And I spent a really long time being like really frustrated with my social media game because I'd write what I thought was like this deeply intellectual, really sophisticated post. And I'd get like six people like it and two bots comment. Um, and then just one day it, it, it occurred to me, hang on, like there's something wrong with what I'm doing. Like I looked inwards, I thought about it and I went, Oh, like it seems to be that, 
the way to get in front of more people and help more people is to make content which can be shared and people things which people share quickly. Um, so I started making memes really. Um, but I think like I often, like I'm, I don't work in a gym anymore. I work entirely online. And I think I miss, part of me misses rambling to people often against their will about things which I find like silly or things which I don't think quite make sense. Um, and it's really just been a matter of like trying to translate those rambles into like a pictorial format where I can be like, Hey, like, look at this. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And, uh, also people have really like short attention spans. So they're probably not going to read your massive caption, but if you can put it into a meme, they'll, they'll go, Oh yeah, I kind of get that. That makes sense. That's me. Like your Frank one the other day of like the guy cutting, <laughs> cutting the branch. Cutting the branch. <laughs> like, having like what you say, like a case of vb and kfc on the weekend and then like under eating on the during the week to make up for it that oh that was classic mate that was me for a long time apart from um it was stone woods and it wasn't kfc well i think like we often good not that that's good comedy but i think often good comedy is like profoundly true um and i think there are a lot of like particularly like there are a lot of very absurd things we do as humans. Um, and a lot of things we don't do for rational reasons we do because like of patterns and because we're in a certain environment and certain groove. And I think when you, when you discuss those things in meme format, all of a sudden it like helps people reflect a little bit more too. Um, like, like that, that meme of the bloke chopping down the branch he's sitting on. Right. I think there are all, I hope that there are people who are doing that who never thought about that. Like I have people message me like fairly often and ask, Hey Tom, like went over my calories today. Should I cut back tomorrow? Um, and I think if you're a pure mathematician, you say cut back the calories, but if you start to understand people and how people behave, you go, okay, that's not actually the solution. The problem is you feel so restricted. Let's like try and make you feel less restricted and see if that reduces the binging. And then by virtue of that, it'll actually pull down your average calorie intake over a week. Yeah. It's good, man. Like, I think that the educational resource, it's, it's underrated. Like what you can do in that kind of visual popular culture format and you've got it for, you know, for the next, however long you work in the industry, you can use those examples and go, Hey, is this you? And they go, Oh yeah, that, that is me. And they start to like, they relate to it and analogies, I think memes are like a, a different version of, it, of an analogy and they start to understand, oh yeah, cool. Like, and now, now I know what you mean because I didn't understand what you said in that 200, and, 200 word post you did. I also didn't read it. Um, and I think that's what we got to do as professionals is like write content and educate people based on, I guess, where they're at um, and what they're actually going to listen to. Write content for them, not write content for other professionals. Oh, and that's what, that's what we, you know, we've done over, over the course of the last few years is like really shift how we write posts and, you know, deliver things like we're not like not a circle jerk, you know, I mean, like, you know, if, if you like one of the person like, yeah, that's mad. Um, but if someone says to me, oh, I really understand now because you said it that way. I'm like, OK, cool. Like if you're a gen pop person, that, that actually means a lot to me that you actually understand it now based on how I wrote things. And I always try and like talk to like talk to Mac about it as, as well. So like explain things like you're explaining it to your mate at the pub. Yeah. And I think it, it, it also do, if you can do that that way, it also diminishes that like ivory tower. Like this is a, this is the domain of PTs and nutritionists, you know, it actually makes it a thing which is for everyone and which everyone can engage in. Um, it's not just a matter of you and your four favorite evidence-based people like sharing to each other's stories and getting each other up. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But with that said, man, there's, there's a couple of uh, really good people in the industry, you know, out of Australia at the moment. Um, and you're definitely one of them. That's why I wanted to get you onto the show um, and kind of get into your brain a little bit more and chat about things. So I really do appreciate it. Um, is there anything you want to leave the listeners with, like a, a favorite book or a favorite quote um, that you want to share before we uh, wrap up? Um probably not favorite book um, so much as I think reading fiction is really underrated. I think people, people want to tell themselves they're really intellectual and read like really complex 
like scientific communication books, but not everything you do has to be like complex and deep and meaningful. Sometimes what you can do just has to be fun. Um, and I also think there's a really nice benefit cognitively to reading and like the way it improves your focus without you trying as opposed to just mindlessly scrolling on your social media. Yeah. Actually, I like that because recently I've read fiction books at nighttime instead of like nonfiction. And I found my sleep was actually really good when I was reading those. I was reading one called The Outsiders and one called like uh, Name of the Wind or something. Um, And it also helped me be really quite creative because you have to picture things in your head. Um, And I guess like you're always picturing the movie scene when you like when you're reading it. So um, yeah, massively like it's reading in general is, is an amazing habit to get into and to have, but reading fiction doesn't mean you're like not doing it the right way. You know what I mean? Like people like mm. you're like saying it's glorified to read nonfiction. Like, yeah, it's great to learn stuff, but there's nothing wrong with just reading like fiction as well. Yeah. And even like the fiction you are reading, right? Like you don't have to be sort of celebrating like, Oh yeah. So I only read the classics. Like, literally what did i read recently um i do i read um the draw i read the dry recently which is which was really good um but like it's not tolkien it's not like it's not like a classic it's not like it's not something which people are going to go oh like this is the the best book of all time um we're going to read this in 200 years in our english classes like sometimes it just has to be a thing you enjoy yeah same thing with your diet. It doesn't have to be the, a classic or the best thing. It's about like what works for you. I think that we'll, we'll round it out uh, with that pretty, pretty common theme of the whole podcast. Yeah, Rupa. Okay. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate awesome, it. Mate. And uh, where can people find you? Uh, yeah, so on Instagram um, at tom.clark.fitness or also on the Flex Success page as well. That's where I put out most of my content and is sort of the easiest way to get in touch with me. Awesome, mate. Thank you so much for being on the show. Um, And yeah, hopefully people go and follow you and they'll improve their knowledge on nutrition massively uh, just through meme format. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. Now, do you want to find a way of eating that's based on your goals, lifestyle, and personal preferences? A way of eating that helps you reach your goals in a sustainable way? If the answer is yes, the one-on-one coaching at FNC is for you. It's an individualized coaching for your goals, lifestyle, and preferences. It has support, accountability, and guidance. It includes weekly email check-ins, fortnightly video calls, 12 weeks of nutrition education, access to the Team FNC online community, and the FNC recipe book. For more information, click the link in our show notes.